What's up, you two? I am Reef Dude. <laughs> I'm Reef Dude. Alright, do a little bit of 300 <clears throat> bus today, but mostly <laughs> then and now. This mask is coming off. It's so hard to see. Uh, what has changed? <laughs> some of it for the best, some of it for the worst. He uh, goes like this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wild swings back and forth. We're going to find out today, man. Uh, what are the things that we really, really think has changed in reefing and uh, how, how it affects it. Yeah, and, and I can't breathe. And so, for me, it's, oh my gosh! For me, it's eight. For me, it's eight. Uh, let me get into character here. For me, it's eight years. For uh, Ryan, it's been 18 years. I can't talk like this the whole time. I'll be voiceless by the time we're done. Uh, do your best. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Also, uh, change up today. We didn't do the little costume deal uh, for the 300K. Yeah. So uh, many of you noticed we said we're going to give up 500 bucks in uh, Neptune, Neptune uh, gear. Yeah. Well, uh, towards Neptune stuff. Hey, right. they're already picked too. You, what you need to do is watch the comments on this live stream as they happen because... The guys on the other end of the camera have everybody's name who got the 500 bucks from Neptune. They'll be comment uh, commenting it throughout. So every few minutes or so, you'll probably see somebody where they pulled the card out and threw 500 bucks in rewards so you can go buy some Neptune stuff. In the comments, you'll see your name uh, and maybe the end of the order number. I don't know how they're going to do it, yep. but you'll see it throughout today's live. So uh, I don't know, how many were there? Uh, today there was 13 or 14. All right, well, I so don't know. So that's, that's like... Ten thousand dollars? No, fifteen thousand yeah, dollars. Right, no, there we go. Five grand. I forget. All right. All right. So, there you go. Tomorrow, still a secret. We're not going to tell you what's going on. Tomorrow. Oh yeah, we still got going all the way till uh, uh, Halloween. So three hundred k or bust. I bet you we're up to <laughs> two hundred or something today. We'll see. All right. So, then versus now. What's changed? Some of it for the worse. Some of it for the best. Wild swings back and forth on some of it. Randy, I haven't seen yours. Randy hasn't seen mine. No. Let's just share them. You go for the first one. What has changed for oh, you? Oh, man. What's the first one? Um, where do I want to start here? Uh, right at the top. Let's talk about uh, the word. Okay. So the word controller has, mm. uh, it's, it's, it's such an old term. I don't even think we should use it anymore. Uh, it's the, the value of what they bring changes uh, what it was initially sent out to do. So I don't like the word controller. Uh, aquarium controller, whether it's Neptune, what have you. I actually mm -hmm. think uh, the in a change for the better, uh, these things have now become our monitoring systems. It's our, you know, it's our a way to uh, save your tank. Uh, when crazy S hits the fan, uh, I, I am more in tune to my tank with this thing than I ever was having a tank before. So in that spirit, then, uh, I don't know, for me uh, a millennia ago, uh, it was. It was just like this weird thing kind of turned out, let's on and off. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, it had a cool display on it, whatever. Uh, now people use those things totally different. Uh, they're using them to as redundancies, alerts Monitors. when stuff is failing, mm -hmm. power alerts, meaning like you know when your pump's not even spinning fast enough just for even maintenance. Yeah. You know, chemicals, it's controlling like, a lot of things, but it's also monitoring. So it was 100% a controller. It was 100% a, uh, a controller back when I first got my Neptune. And that, uh, when I first got my Neptune, you know, I read that comprehensive manual through and through, cover to cover. But I read it from a standpoint, and I bought it from a standpoint back then of, I just want to shut things off and on from my phone, and I'm willing to do the programming and learn the the uh, learn the the programming like code and whatnot like that to get it done. But it was just a cool tool. I didn't actually 
use it in a way, uh, other than maybe running my auto feeder when I was gone, uh, I never used it in a way of monitoring. But now that it's completely changed. I have all of the systems, uh, the 160, the 900 behind us, your tank, mm -hmm. you know, my own office tank, my mom's tank in Montana. I have all of them on my phone. And I, the main reason I have them is just so I can get those alerts. So the good and the bad. Uh, the good here is there's a bunch of options now that didn't exist. When I started, it was the octopus thing only, mm -hmm. uh, being not the octopus brand you know today, but something else. Yeah. Now there's, of course, the uh, Neptune, but there's also the GHLs come along. There's now the Hydroser is, uh, like Refactory is a type of that. Uh, Ecotech is working towards a, mm -hmm. a thing that, I think. Uh, yeah. So there's like different options for that, and they all kind of have a unique uh, uh, place in, in the world. The good piece uh, I will also say is that back in the day when I started, I guess, the difference between your tank failing and succeeding in the long run was sheer attention to detail, meaning like you had to watch the tank all the time mm. and you had to like really check the tank's temperature, you know, all the parameters and everything yeah. all the time. And then when anything went wrong, if you weren't around to notice it, goodbye tank. <laughs> goodbye tank. Oh, and I, well, the thing is, is that I was never home anyway. Yeah. Uh, I'm gone for, you know, 80% or 75% of the day. So the chances of that happening are like pfft, skyrocket compared to now. So this is my belief. My belief is there's a whole different level of success now. Like if only people that were going to succeed before were the lucky, Mm. And the people that had uh, uh, like overwhelming attention to detail and the time to do it, yeah. and like never went on vacation, and that was it. That's well, a small group of people, right? Now, if you get to the group of people that like work, go on vacation, and all those other things, and all of a sudden they can uh, have the same level of success, well. Everybody wins. Yeah, much bigger. <laughs> okay, so the bad though, uh, sometimes things go too far. So like, sometimes you just trick out these things a little. It couldn't make it. Actually, it's so hot in there. <laughs> Plus, it's all rabbit and people can't hear anything. So. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, also it just takes like. You, take, you can take it too far, meaning like there's just too many things plugged into each other. And like if one sensor goes now wrong or one outlet goes wrong, there's too much dependence on yeah. this thing, you know, doing it right. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's the bet. I'm going to shift to another one here. And this is a, not totally unrelated, but like this is kind of, I don't think people would expect this one. So uh, for me, then versus now. Then, you know, a millennia ago, uh, we're shifting from what I think was called a hobby or a craft, which mm. is information passed down from our community or predecessors to evidence-based assertions tested and affirmed, mm. right? And so when I started, everything that I found and knew about the hobby is because somebody before me told me about it. Yeah, yeah it's all right. uh, it's all anecdotal type of uh, yeah. what they experienced and that's the law. You yeah. know, the funny part too is the people that I was listening to in the beginning, you know, I'd go to a forum and ask, you know, what's the best protein skimmer? And 99% of the time I was asking people who were shopping for a protein skimmer at the exact same time. <laughs> yes. Those are the same people answering. <laughs> Not the person that's used it for five years. Yeah, it's the blind uh, leading the blind. A little bit. Uh, <laughs> so now, though, you know, you fast forward, like, you know, uh, I don't know. 18 years couple, for you, eight yeah, years for me. A couple decades. Yeah. There, you've seen a lot more 
evidence-based assertions. And you see it from, you know, the scientific journals, you see it from the scientific community. Mm. Uh, hopefully Randy and I contribute a little bit to this too. And we start understanding like, yeah, is a refugium good or is it bad? What does it actually do? Mm. You know, is uh, the amino acids good or bad? Yeah. What does it do? And, you know, we start trying to find out. All right. So uh, there's good and there's bad with this one too. Uh, one of the bads for me in this thing, and this is something I've been fighting like, you know, since, you know, like day one, is the pursuit of absolute knowledge, mm -hmm. meaning unequivocal, peer reviewed, nobody could ever, ever say you were wrong. Black in all cases, covers every tank style instance yeah. and install. Uh, always right. Everybody's looking for the solution that uh, matters to everybody rather than just somebody. So, uh, mm -hmm. like, what fits 100% of people, and how can and why? What what is it that uh, is going to take to get there? Well, that answer is just never going to come to fruition in this hobby. So, yeah, because like nobody's going to spend a billion dollars finding out the answer of pH in an Best. aquarium. Oh, you know, yeah. like yeah, there's yeah. no way they're going to do it in the ocean. We're already done. Uh, <laughs> uh, but like. So for me, the bad part is, is like we're still, this is, this is a double-edged sword because you mm. always want to be a little bit cautious. But the bad part is like you could do six experiments, but if they're not done in a lab uh, done by in perfect conditions, well, then they're not believable. But like I get that, but it's not believable versus what? Anecdotal other stuff? Or like uh, mm. what Jerry told me, and the reason thing, the reason I said this is shifting from a craft or hobby information passed down to community of predecessors or evidence based, is taken from that food labs book. Oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was his uh, when when uh, uh, Ken Jay wrote that book, it has this right up front. He says right up front that cooking is a like hobby or craft. And almost everything you know about it was passed down mm -hmm. from your, you know, father, grandfather, grandmother, mother, buddy, whatever yeah, it might yeah, yeah. be. Uh, as you know, what you got to sear the steak first. Oh yeah, you know, be, don't, uh, hold on, don't all the flip juices. it more than once. Uh, yeah, you know, you're screwed. It yeah, yeah, like what? It's all garbage, man. It is. And he does, you know what? It's based on science. He does a science, man. He cooks a bunch of steaks and he flips them every thirty seconds or a minute or only once, and then he shows you the results. Is it peer-reviewed science no. in a way? Like no, but like. I repeated it's what believable. he did, and it was awesome, <laughs> you know. And I repeated what he didn't do, and I was like, "Oh, I understand why that sucks now." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and like every single one of these things that uh, I learned from the reverse steer, mm. uh, you mm. know, all, all the different things in there, like, ah, mm. I totally get why. And I didn't need peer-reviewed science; I just needed better than craft and handed yeah. down information. And you're finding like so much of that stuff that I was told about cooking is just total garbage. Like the the sear, you are not hermetically searing this steak. It is <laughs> not just, happening. It's not a thing. There's cracks everywhere. There, you did not seal the juices in. Right, right, it's right. total crap. Uh, <laughs> uh, but like, man, if I wasn't told that a hundred times. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, I've lived that ever since I've uh, been cooking on barbecue, and, and even like now, I find myself doing that. Yeah, you see that in I reefing like as well. Tech uh, Tech HR here. Uh, scroll down a little bit here. Has a he has a nice poke the bear comment. And he says, now science and commerce collide. Hey, do me a favor, Beer Steve Investigates in there. Uh, go ahead and add the title in there of uh, congratulations for 500 bucks in reward points. Ah, there you go. Not just what, uh, who won, but what they won, man, for yeah. people that come in later. There you go. 
Uh, it's kind of exciting. Uh, yeah, so poking the bear. Uh, now science and commerce collide. Mm -hmm. But, you know, yeah, I could see, uh, you know, coming from like, a corporation or like a business like ours who is doing this stuff. Uh, you know, are we testing to sell more protein skimmers? Are we testing? Mm. Is our goal to answer is yes. Yeah, okay. And are we testing to sell more uh, BRS pharma chems than non-pharma options? Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, so there is a ring of truth to what he says. But also in the same breath, uh, who else in our hobby is doing it or has the resources to do it? I think it's like these things are like people miss the, the connection and motivation, right? So yeah. did we test uh, refugium lights to sell more refugium lights or is it a happy coincidence or is it that like okay so when i went into that thing i thought you know everybody was saying at the time and this is a millennia ago but everybody's at the time was kind of shrugging off refugiums like they're not a really effective tools uh, you were in the same boat for a while yeah too. i didn't yeah. i kind of I assumed when we got in through it, it was going to say... 10% difference. Yeah, I was hoping for like 30. 30% right? difference. So if it's 30% difference, man, that means I can skip one in three of my water changes-ish. I mean, you can connect the dots. Uh, right, 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 right. But like I can reduce some of my other maintenance if this allergy is pulling it out. What I didn't expect to find is that it would pull it all out. <laughs> yeah, and especially so if we really had a high-powered light. Yeah. And so, like... Did that sell more lights? Absolutely. It, oh, yeah. But the problem isn't is, like, did you do the thing to create the, the desire to sell more lights? Or did you do it answer. to help people understand the answer to a question? And the answer to that will, like, sell more lights. And we'll do the inverse, though. Mm. We tested the, the longevity of T5 bulbs. Yeah. And we found out that you can use them a lot longer than everybody yeah. says. Stop buying T5 Stop. bulbs, I think, was what we came out of that conversation. Like. Yeah, so like we're willing to show the exact opposite, too. So I don't know. People can judge us how they want. But like, do we pick things that will help people be successful and in the pursuit of that? For sure. Mm. Uh, does some of it actually sell more product? For sure. Uh, yeah. no. Will we always make an attempt to be as genuine? For sure. Uh, uh, this whole conversation leads into one of mine here too, and that is uh, one of the things that changed is that the best, the best kept knowledge uh, is now widely available. Because uh, mm. back, you know, back when I started, there were, yeah, this is stuff that uh, we've talked about multiple times. You have to dig through. You have to be one of those motivated uh, people to dig through hundreds and thousands of comments and posts on forums, uh, read the reef keeping books that exist and formulate kind of your own Collage. process of, you know, what is actually working here? What isn't working? Uh, now, all I have to do is go to Google or YouTube, type in the question or, or the topic that I have. And it's not just BRS channel, tons of channels out there uh, offering some visual, uh, some visual learning mechanisms. Like for me, for me to go watch, I do it all the time when I try to work on my cars, my vehicles at home, or do a home, uh, a home DIY project or something. I go to YouTube, I type in exactly what I'm looking for, I watch about five different guys' videos who did it, and I go, all right, here we go, let's go do it myself. YouTube's a good mechanism the, for uh, yeah. sharing information. The learning, curve for reef, the learning curve for reefing knowledge has dropped dramatically. 
Well, you know, it's that piece that, like, I wish I could remember who said this, but it's the stop listening to everyone and start listening to someone, mm -hmm. right? And I was really cautious, like, the first time I said that, like, I don't want to make it sound like listen to me. Yeah. yeah, right? yeah. I, and, like, I don't know. I, I feel like if we're one-on-one, -on -one, I, I have a good, good, pretty good insight on what to do here. <laughs> uh, but I also, like, it sounds really egotistical to say that. So mm -hmm. I try not to go that way, but at the same time, like, it's the frustration that I had when what I was trying to do in the beginning was build a method out of eight million different people's way of doing this. It's almost like going to that recipe book and taking 40 different recipes for biscuits and then in your first attempt, don't follow any of them, piece it all together into your own rhyme or reason. Yeah. That's it helps nobody. Yeah, I don't know, man. And it's much more, what we're doing is much more complicated than uh. a biscuit. And you can see why even the biscuit thing wouldn't work out. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, uh, 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 man. You know, when you started, when I started, the only thing there was was uh, I learned, you know, the first thing I thought I learned from was the fish store. Mm -hmm. Didn't help me. Mm -hmm. I left. Uh, then I went and uh, started reading magazines. I bought a bunch of magazines from Petco. Turns out those things were all advertisements. That didn't help me either. Mm -hmm. Uh, then I read some books and I found the books to be somewhat dated until eventually I found uh, volume three of uh, Julian's uh, book. Yeah. Uh, and that one helped me a lot because that one's all based on like understanding the science and understanding the technology of getting a system up and running. Where a mm -hmm. lot of them, other ones are kind of about the animals. One of, one of the pioneers talking about it in yeah. that frame of frame around. I read that one cover to cover. Yeah. It was just sick. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I looked and uh, I have 3,500 posts on Reef Central and I have like a couple thousand posts on TC Mass. Uh, it took that and like, like, man, it was just like, you know, eventually, though, even on the forums, I figured it out. Mm. I stopped going to the general public and asking stuff, and I'd go to, like, they had experts, like yeah, Randy had, Holmes yep. Farley, yep. and they had... Uh, uh, Paul you know, B. Uh, was a good Dana, one to listen to. And they have, yeah. yeah, they have a bunch of... They had their own forums. Yeah. And so, and they were all specific to very specific things. I'd go to those forums and ask instead, because I wanted to start listening to somebody. I, I sat down and listened to a, a, a propagation thing at MACNA. So when I want to know about PRACNA, I'll go to his forum yeah. and uh, ask uh, Anthony Kelfo what he thinks. And access to that person was actually super duper helpful. But fast forward, man, and like a lot of those people have dropped out. Uh, forums are... I mean, who's got the bandwidth for that many questions just to get started? No, no, no. I mean, very few people, and I, I was one of them, but I also didn't just start just by reading the forums. I actually had somebody who was doing it successfully to kind of get me pushed in the right direction and then run with it from there. Okay, so I'm trying to, I mean, there's so many good things about changing the way that we you know, have access to information. This, the one thing I like the most that we do here uh, is that we show the results of the tank, the good, the bad, and mm. like, you know, some people focus on the eye, like that tank didn't turn out as well. Like, yeah, but what about the 160? What about the 170 mm. or the E170? You know, what about, like all these, the uh, harem tanks, what yep. about, like all these things. So like, uh, uh, I don't know. Though none of the paths are believable unless you're willing to show the stumbles, and we've all had them. Like, <laughs> uh, if you haven't had the stumbles, raise your hand, because uh, yeah, yeah. I want to learn from you. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, in fact, you should do a YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, so I don't know. It's, it's that sharing the good sides, the bad sides, and how you power through to the other side of that thing, man, I think is important. But, like, I'm trying to think the bad of the new ways that we change, share information. 
Mm. Negative sign. You know, I'll share one. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I want to be curious if people think this is about us, but the nature of video and sharing video on YouTube is if you're on a camera, it creates an artificial sense of authority. Oh, that's just that, and that's yeah. a problem with uh, YouTube in general. Uh, yeah. Outside of our hobby, there are people that believe a lot of weird things that be just because some somebody's on YouTube talking about it. So I guess you know the the end around that again is showing the results, showing the negative outcomes, and mm. longevity. Like how long had this channel been in existence? Yeah, right. I think uh, if somebody in the in the reefing scene were to pop up on YouTube and disseminate information that you know. This wasn't there wasn't a bit of ring of truth to they'd be, they'd be called out. Right? I think most people who are on YouTube, almost a majority of the YouTubers in the reefing community, uh, do have good advice and information to share. I, I'm about to say blasphemy. Okay. Okay. I don't like YouTube. You don't like YouTube? I do it. I know. I like. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's blasphemy. I know. What's okay. up, YouTube? Okay. So here, here's the deal. I do. I use YouTube for things all the time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, like, if I'm like, I want to know how to use my uh, little 3D gimbal thing. I don't want to mm -hmm. read the instructions. There's, you know, if 60 page of instructions, <laughs> I can go to a YouTube channel and it will tell me. I can scrub to the point. I usually now they got little chapters. Yep. I can get it immediately. Push these. That's what these three buttons do. Right. Yeah. Okay. But in any case where that isn't true, what I don't like doing is going up to a video that looks like it's a half hour long. Mm. And I don't know if my answer is in there. Uh, right? okay. And so that's one of the reasons that I actually like text in many cases. Yeah. So one I think the misses, like I'm gonna I'll throw us under the bus. Yeah. So one of the misses that we've had here at BRS is we have all this great video content mm -hmm. for all the people that like to consume information via video. Yeah. But we've converted so little of it into text. Like text. So mm -hmm. like in text, it's super I, easy I to scrub. I can scan like this. Yeah. yeah. Like Find I, the keyword I that I'm looking for and then read that paragraph. Yeah, I don't know. I need to know every single thing about what this gimbal does. Yeah. I need to know how to turn the stupid auto lock on so it doesn't flip all over the place. Mm. Uh, yeah. You know, like I just, or I turn it off or whatever, right? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you in the uh, in a different way too. Is that uh, a lot of our videos from back when? Now you talk about like the the 52 weeks was laid out pretty easy because the title of the video kind of matched exactly what you were getting into. Everything about sums. Uh, there's some videos that we've done that talk about a, a topic and has little bits of really good information littered in there, and you just can't find it again without making a whole video based on that. Uh, it's, and then it's tough to find that information. It'd be nice if it was broken down in little formats. Yeah. Like it, instead of everything we know about skimmers, here's how to tune one. Here's, mm. I mean, we've done some of that. Yeah. But like, yeah We're kind of nice. working on some of that too. All right. This is a good one, man, I think. Uh, you guys ready for your contra controversy hat? <laughs> I mean, put, it, put the controversy hat on here. Okay. Then versus now. Dry rock, conversation about pests and parasites. Now versus sterile and dinos or that mm. universe of crap mm. yeah okay so when i started the hobby it like dry rock wasn't even a thing mm. so like marco made dry rock a, a thing uh, yeah and uh, he originally had pucani and then he eventually went to the, the, the florida stuff yeah okay and his name is actually mark by the way <laughs> uh, 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 but he did it under marco rocks and I don't know. You know, it's this is one of those pendulums that you're going to see swing way wildly back and forth until we find the right solution. But you know, there was 
Fiji dry, live rock, which is like mostly boat rock, mm -hmm. you know, two months of inside, sitting inside of a box live. Yeah. Uh, but still probably had the biome on it uh, to some degree. Uh, was the, you know, the thing everybody did. You know, I, I, I got my rock from TBS and mm -hmm. obviously that had all kinds of biome on it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, that's what everybody did. And then eventually though, everybody's tired of Aptasia, they're tired of ick, they're tired of parasites, they're tired mm. of uh, red, little red bugs and flatworms, and like they're tired of fighting all this crap, man, over and over and over again. They're like, all right, well, let's start like essentially sterile. Yeah. I won't have any of those things, right? And rock is rock is rock is rock, right? Yeah. Okay, well, then when we did that, traded our problems. We traded problems. And I'll tell you two problems mm. I saw over the years that kind of sprouted out of that. Bryopsis was one of them. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know where all of a sudden people were having like frag portions yeah. of, of bryopsis. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know where the bryopsis comes from, but I think it just tended to take hold in that dry rock better than it did in other things. I, I don't have a good excuse for it. I, but it wasn't as big of an issue before. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And then after that, Dinos. Dinos. Right? Yeah. And, and when I was young in reefing, man, I don't nobody remember. was climbing with dinos. I don't re in my early times, I don't remember, I don't recall a tank with a dino problem. No. I just, it was I, a weird thing. The club thing, the club places we've been to, out of the local fish stores I've been to, my own tanks, my buddies' tanks, I don't remember uh, a dino issue. Okay, so uh, nobody's introducing Aptasia, though or bubble algae, or uh, mm. flatworms, or little red bugs this way, though. <laughs> so where's the balance in all this equation as we just like swing back and forth? You know, like, I don't want to have dinos, I don't want to have deja, I don't want whatever. I, and then half the time you get into this stuff anyway, yeah. one way or another. <laughs> uh, so where we are today is, to me, it feels like on the cusp of an evolution, hmm. right? To me, it feels like the experiment that's going on right now is going to produce a, a very obvious result in which we'll go back and reproduce to make sure that right. it's actually yeah. you know, yeah. happening again. But I feel like we're going to find out that dry rock, sterile rock is not a really good way to start a brand new tank and it's more likely to have dinos, it's mm. more likely to have uh, uh, other like bacterial or you know that type of pest issues in it, yeah right blooms and cloudy water yep. and yep I and on the flip side of that like it won't have the pests that we're talking about so if you're careful you won't introduce some of those things and by careful men sometimes too extreme yeah and you may introduce some you will introduce some of these things anyway oh, for those of you guys who don't know what we're talking about here we have a test for this biome thing, for this uh, cycling going on right now in 12 tanks back there. Where we picked uh, 12 different approaches to starting the cycle and going through the tank cycle. On the other extreme end of just dry rock and dry sand and just tossing fish and seeing where the where that goes in the cycle and what's gonna come out of it. The opposite end is the rock that we've gotten, uh, that we did get live rock from, uh, I forget the supplier who gave us the dry rock. In that tank, uh, right now, uh, just a quick update I just learned today, there is a gorilla crab uh, that is actively eating some of the little clownfish inside, and they have to be replaced. 
so we have a bunch of baby clownfish on hold. Uh, most, I think some of them were coals for the most part. There is a gorilla crab in there actively getting them in their sleep. So wow. the extreme ends of both cases. Uh, you're getting the pests, like we just talked about from the past, and I imagine that uh, here in the next month or so, we'll see the opposite. It's interesting because that tank that came with Wool Rock right out of the ocean, there's a... <laughs> I mean, it had actually, a, I saw a snail yep. in there. Yeah. I saw a, uh, a, uh, uh, a sea urchin. Now there's a gorilla crab in there. There and might a, be hydroids on it, too. Uh, I can't remember. I will tell you this. The water is yellow, though. Mm -hmm. Much more yellow than the rest of them. And you can see all the ro the sand has turned brown, too. Yep. Uh, and that's interesting, because you go see the biome, and like you can see in the tank where you just poured a couple cans of sand in there from a, an existing tank, yep. all of that sand has changed color as mm. well. And like, the lights come there's on. stuff living in there. The lights come on like next week. Yeah, and so that will be the really interesting test, man, because a lot of the tanks that I've started with Dry Rock originally ended up, in a lot of our videos, originally ended up being uh, just uh, LPS tanks. And yep. so we got 75 <laughs> par or somewhere in the neighborhood, 100 par, and you just don't really have these problems. Yeah. You crank that thing up to 300 and you're fueling all of those photosynthetic organisms and this is like part of the reason why like some people raise their hand like oh i had no problem man just threw some dry rock in threw some corals it was no big deal and we're like well what'd you have and they're like oh i had some zoanthids and a little ai prime light uh and the other guy's like oh my god i had all these uh, photosynthetic problems i had uh dinos was growing mm. out of crazy man and like well, what happened? Like, oh, well, I got, uh, you know, five Radeon XR30s on the top, and I got, you know, like, uh, basically touching the sun. Oh, that's your problem right there. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know what? Like, that problem, a problem, I don't know, it may or may not have been a problem with a live rock, but mm. in this case, you've given so much energy to the things that actually utilize the sun's energy uh, for uh, growth and replication. That it's outpacing the things that uh, rely on other gasoline things. on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, what what would you say is good and bad? Then, I mean, the bad obviously we've created. I mean, this is my belief structure. Mm. I, you could tie the dinos to it or not. I've seen enough that if you were to ask me what I believe, I would say that dry rock, dry sand, or dry sand within a regular I've yeah. you know water yeah. in it. Same thing. Uh, will cause problems specifically in an SPS tank where you turn the lights on to 300 bar. Mm. Uh, more likely than an LPS, but even then, I think finding sources of biome in there, which is like we're using this word biome, like it really encompasses all the things that you don't know. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I think, I think that's progress. Bad, we've created new problems, we've solved yesterday's mm. problems. We're waiting for the evolution. I think uh, good that came from it. One, uh, so one of the reasons that we are, we're at this point today is because you know the availability of live rock is pretty minute. Like it's really hard to find. But wholesale, uh, uh, we so, bought fifty pounds of this. It was yeah. thirteen dollars a pound, I think. Yeah. So like, what is it retail then? Like, yeah. I, I mean, a fish store probably charges twenty dollars a pound, man. Buy a hundred. I mean, like, yeah. it's two grand just for the rock. <laughs> Uh, but out of that, so out of that started the increase of using dry rock, dry sand, uh, and we got the, uh, the opposite end of the problems. Uh, but in the good uh, out of all of that is now we open this conversation about the uh, biodiversity in the tank as far as like uh, mm. bacteria go. 
Uh, would we have been on that path sh if uh, the rock uh, landscape of how to get rock or availability of rock changed? Yeah, I don't uh, know. Uh. You know where this really came together for me because a lot of it, and we'll, we'll touch on this in a little bit, but where it came together to me was the PCR testing. And the jury's still out for me on how reefers will use PCR testing or that DNA sequencing mm -hmm. on their tank. But when I saw very obvious problems with my own tank, and then I was able to test and see that I have a diversity problem in my tank and that some of the things that should be there aren't and some of the things that are pains in the butt are in are. the great scale. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, the data now matches my perspective. And like, it added a touch point to you know, a conversation that was very murky and theoretical and like, no, now there is like a digital readout of this yeah. uh, that actually matches my own perspective of the tank. And so when we're doing those experiments, we'll find out, does the visual like mess ups here match what the data tells in all of these cases as well? Hmm. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, I don't know. All right, next one. Now uh, oh, in this uh, rock conversation, I guess, uh, one of the things that have changed dramatically in, in, my, in my eyes over the last like almost a decade uh, is this budding new conversation about aquascape. Mm. When I set up any, uh, the, my first five or six tanks, not one time did I think about uh, aquascape other than, oh, this kind of looks cool like that. Oh, that kind of looks cool like that. But the, the, uh, the thought process is uh, evolving for me even now. You know, there wasn't a lot of resources back then, even how to make it look cool. Yeah. That's yeah, none. Just, you just got a pile of rocks and you did the best you could. You look at somebody else's tank, you're like, how do they do that? A lot of times they don't have some of those early on photos of just the rock. Usually it might be beyond that to where the corals are now and you can't even like see how they aquascaped it anyway. Uh, but I basically, I just took like a, my, a big giant piece of pecani and put it in one spot and then I stacked up some rocks in the middle and then I did a couple of smaller rocks over here and I thought, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. No, no rhyme or reason as to, uh, no thought process as to, as to where the corals are going to go because our space for corals because these are just lumps of rock and I'm just limited to the top of the rock and this little bit of mound over here that's facing the light. Uh, uh, and no, definitely no regard for habitat for fish and reducing aggression and all of that. Zero. Just wasn't even on the radar. Nobody yeah. told me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I do remember, I just had a flashback, actually, of one of those early Pukani videos where we learned you could use a chisel to, to like, a chisel hole a hole right through the middle. You know, create, Instant arch. Create caves, yeah. man. Create the shapes yeah. you wanted. Uh, the Pukani was hard, though, because it had that, like, that kind of grain, and so if you went the wrong way, it was really obvious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know, man. It was mostly just, just stack some rocks up and hope for the best, I guess. Mm -hmm. And well, then even like people would tell you, drill it and whatever, but yeah. then quietly behind the scenes, everybody you talked to had drilled it said it was a giant pain in the ass. <laughs> like the, the, yeah, like getting them all lined up yeah. and getting the pin through. Like a rod or and, something. And like a lot of the mm. drill bits would burn out and like quietly behind the scenes said, no, don't do that. Yeah. But on publicly, everybody's like, oh yeah, you're yeah. gonna secure it with a drill bit. And like, uh, yeah. There's two yeah. points of good out of that, that that comes out of this for me. And one is that now we are thinking about uh, the aquascape in, uh, for the life of our pets, whether it be our living creatures, whether it be corals, whether it be fish. But two, mm -hmm. uh, we're actually using, uh, you, now that you're spending two weeks to create an aquascape, uh, 
you can create something that's visually stunning from day one, regardless if it's covered in uh, coralline or corals or what have you. This, that bare bones white rock, uh, Marco, uh, that's elegantly kind of designed and doing this in the HNSA or HSA, uh, looks really cool from day one. All right, I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Yeah. Form versus function. Mm -hmm. When I started, neither. Yeah. Uh, there was no, there was so little guidance on how to build something for form being beautiful. Yep. And there was so little guidance on how to build it to the application, which is, this is a home for animals that are gonna live in there. Yeah. Right? I, I don't, I don't that remember didn't those even converse, conversations happening. Yeah. Uh -uh. Now both are happening. Uh, and what we're gonna see I think if you look back at this 10 years from now, a couple of things you're going to see is you're going to see people, some companies that are actually just selling complete aquascapes where form and function have already done mm -hmm. because it's beautiful and easy. But you're also going to see hundreds of videos of people who have created really cool things now that we've changed the rules and the rules are no longer use the rock in the shape that it came, make it into whatever you want. Break it up, do yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and like stacking it, you know, you know the, the best thing that actually came out of the whole thing for me specifically is the fact that you can take the whole aquascape out in one piece. That's something I never thought I would, uh, I would need to do. Uh, uh, but after, so many times of like, man, I need to catch that fish and now I'm breaking corals and doing all this other stuff or man, uh, it would be nice if I, uh, I might have to uh, get a pest out or target some pests or something like that. I can actually pick this thing up, do what I need to do and it's gonna be fine out of the water for a while and then put the thing back in. So I'll give you several of them. One, I move my tank from my house to here. Easy. One, we move a, a tank around the office. Yep. Like uh, we, we're considering moving the E170 into a larger tank, just a little bit, maybe a little closer to like a 60 cube. Yeah. Uh, and, but they couldn't, man. Zero. You can't take it out, it'll all fall apart. You'd never get it back together the same way. Yeah. And then you look at uh, the uh, 750 up, up front and then I mean, I'm terrified that front pane's gonna pop off, mm. you know, because they had early issues with that specific model, and this is one of them. Mm. But, dude, we can't take that aquascape out of there and put it into a new tank without destroying the whole thing and taking something beautiful yeah. and setting it back, man. Like, we already had hurdles with the 750. We're now past them, and yeah. you're gonna see this thing flourish. It's, all, it's like, I think a six and a half and in 12 months, you're gonna see a nine and a half. Yeah. Or I could tear the whole damn thing apart and move it into another tank and destroy it. But if it was all one piece or a couple of pieces that intertwined with each other and just looked like they're one, mm. we could move that thing into a new tank in an afternoon and have it not be a problem. I could move, if you're gonna move from your apartment, your house, mm -hmm. you're gonna go even across town or estates, it's so much easier to do if the aquascape is just one piece. The the impact of the destabilization event for moving all that is really, I mean, you think about it, like if the 750 was in two pieces, uh, already moved I, I, well, not, well, yeah, uh, but I could pick that up. There's a couple things that, uh, don't change the, so the, the, uh, settings on the light and to where you mm -hmm. put them back in the tank, 
not not a massive change because I can set the lights back to where they were and the and the corals are still in the same place where they were, uh, far less destabilizing. Uh, I'm not breaking you know coral chunks off. I'm not moving one guy that was down here and now he's up here. You know, there's uh, far less massive dramatic changes that can happen when everything's in one piece. Where it goes up, it goes back down. Put the lights back to where they were. Aquascaping has definitely huh. changed. All right, this one. I'm, I'm like, I can't wait to hear you guys uh, chime in on this one because this one has changed for me. Totally transformed on its head, not even the same thing at all. Past versus future versus today. The bare minimum versus good enough versus perfection. Hmm. Right? When I started this hobby, the bare minimum was pretty much the thing, right? It was like, uh, it was mostly just a focus on how to do this the cheapest possible way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was, the, you know, the core focus. And so I, it made me think of a couple of statements. Uh, one is uh, they say good is the enemy of great or excellence. Okay, so it's true. Like, uh, if you settle for good, you'll never achieve uh, great or excellence. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll give you a couple of those things. Like, the good enough mentality uh, kind of gets, like, trace elements don't matter. pH doesn't matter. We know this not to be true. The trace elements absolutely regulate an organism's, you know, metabolic function. Mm -hmm. We don't know which ones do what, but we do know that matching natural seawater is probably not a terrible idea. pH, for sure, we know. Oh, yeah. uh, it's going to eat its own skeleton. It, it, did it die? Not yet. Uh, but is it thriving? Eh. Uh you know, and then the single point of failure conversation, like my having my heater and trusting its own controller, you know, like instead <laughs> of an external, like, you know, double backup controller or two heaters or whatever. But like a single point of failure was the way that we did it 20 yeah, years ago. Yeah. And you just hoped your heater never the failed you. The entire tank is you teetering you, on that. You hoped you handed, happened to be standing there when it uh, failed and happened to have your finger in there to know, <laughs> you know, I, that's silly. Okay, but the opposite is now true too. They also say that perfect is the enemy of good, hmm. you know? And so I think of ICP mad scientist, mm -hmm. which is like, oh, I've got to use this ICP test now to peg my zinc to the exact number, peg all of these different, you know, molybdenum and all these different right. things. Like, uh, no, maybe the answer is just don't be grossly off. Yeah. You know, like, uh, but like mad scientists we trying to, to fix it, I don't know. We were doing it blindly early on uh, with success. Um, the opposite extreme of doing it mad scientist, uh, you know, there's, I think what's hard to, for some people, is even what was hard for me is that, uh, you know, there's, there's some leeway for just let it be. Or it's not, it's not uh, mission critical right now. There's some, there's, uh, you know, a handful or two handfuls uh, worth of things that are mission critical. If something changes, I need to go fix it right now. Otherwise, everything's going to crash. Uh, but with the level of detail that we get from those, some of those testings, that was one of mine to uh, add on here was that that uh, the insight that we got from testing has changed between ICP and DNA. But I, uh, the good thing that comes from them, I can actually better pinpoint the source of my problems in my tank uh, versus just. I think it's uh, nutrients. I, I might be lighting. I have no idea. So I think that would be a, like the good of ICP would be my tank's going to crap. 
I send out the test. I probably fix whatever it was just through water changes or something. Found but out. then I'll know afterward because the copper was off the hooks. And mm -hmm. I'll go looking and I'll find out that my heater was broken or one of them. Yeah. Or like, I remember meeting a guy at a show where his uh, coil off his air conditioner in the ceiling was dripping. Yeah. Uh, and he would never How would you know? That, yeah, uh, exactly. No. Uh, all right, but so, I don't know, mad scientists with nutrients, lighting mad scientists, all this kind of stuff. Like, it's true that good is the enemy of great and excellence, but it's also true that perfect is the enemy of good. Mm. Uh, it's the pursuit of perfection often will undermine the whole thing. But I will say, very few say the bare minimum is a path that either good or great uh, and it didn't die is no longer a standard. I mean, it should it's, be anyway. It's get it. I, I think it's gaining traction, but I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we're to the point where it's like, oh, you know, that fish died and it happens. It's okay. And that's still, yeah, that's it is still parroted throughout the hobby. Super prevalent of the knowledge of I put, use this thing and it didn't jump out of the fish and immediately die, or jump out of the tank and die. Gotta be good. Is the threshold of good. Yeah. Like, we're still not comprehending the process of using a hundred doses of that thing, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. We're also still just not comprehending the fact that, would you even know, man, if your corals are growing 50% slower because you're allowing your pH to sit at 7.8? Well, Would you even know, man? I mean, they're kind of growing, dude, but do you know what happens when they really flourish yeah. when you maintain uh, natural seawater pH and the water isn't acidic and eating its own skeleton? And if you were to find, uh, if you were to find out in your, your, if you're watching your tank and you're like, oh man, that coral's growing, oh, I'm doing good. And then you, and then you find out like, you know, if I bump up my pH by, you know, 0.5, uh, watch the, you know, 50% more growth and the, and the stuff's just growing out of the tank. Uh, Going forward, would you uh, would you ever consider going back to what you did before? Uh, is, is the high, has it now changed? Has your approach now changed after you see the results personally? So here here's the deal: if you look at your tank and say it's good, this is just what I was looking for. Oh, yeah. I couldn't be happier. Mm. Color, growth, everything is perfect. Never mind. Take ignore, pride. Ignore. No, no, take, take pride. And take ignore pride in what you've done. But if you're looking at it saying, you know what, these aren't really growing as fast as I thought. I've seen Every better. time I bump one, they'll crumble. Yeah. Uh, the skeleton's super weak. Yeah. And you know what, about once a month, I'm seeing something die. Uh, there's room for improvement, man. <laughs> uh, like, we can beat that. So, uh, I don't know. It isn't, it didn't, very few will say the bare minimum is a path to anything. Good or great, it doesn't die. Shouldn't be the standard. You're mm. right. We're not there yet. But... Five years from now, I hope that that is actually the knee-jerk reaction as to when I'm seeing stuff die, I don't just kind of shrug it off. Mm. I, like, I be start be part of a conversation that says, how do I find the other end of that? Yeah, treat it like, uh, treat it like your dog or cat or some other pet that you might own and have mm. that mentality. Like, they just don't die. I wouldn't just replace my puppy every month. <laughs> no. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, Oh, here's a here's a kind of an interesting one for me. That something that's changed is that nano and small all-in-one tanks are perfect for new reefers. Like back, mm. I, I could say back when, like it was never advised for me to get a smaller than like 40 gallon minimum for a brand new reefer. Mm. Uh, even better if I can get 125 gallon. 
God, it's such a complex conversation. It, well, yeah, uh, but I, I can see how, well, the knowledge that I have, uh, jumping into a 10 gallon or a 20 or 30 gallon all-in-one uh, is actually pretty easy to do and you can be successful as a beginner with, uh, with it. Like that conversation about water volume, uh, I mean, there's a little bits in here that kind of like fit in like, all right, so because you don't have the water volume, you have to be more uh, aware of when things change or how fast things change or, you know, do you have, that's why that, you know, that uh, aquarium monitor is probably a really good tool for you and uh, it can be done. Wow, man, if I were, if I was advising a new reefer, man, what size tank would I tell you to get? You know, it really depends. It's such a, like, if you're a meticulous person, the 20 gallon tank, dude, is a great size tank, you know, because it fits on a desk, fits on anything, you know, that we're, we're worried about weight, it's really easy. I can uh, solve 25% of my problems with a five gallon bucket. Yeah, five gallon bucket is a water change. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't have to get hoses out or anything. And like, in this case, I can grab a pinch grip and just scoop five things out into a bucket, pour that one in, I did, it took me 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. You know, really, yeah. really fast. Uh, okay, but that's if you're meticulous and you actually do that. Mm. So if you know that you're not meticulous and you don't actually do that, it becomes an equation, yeah, right? Because I think if I had to give my counsel, and, and this applies to budget and stuff too, but mm -hmm. if I had to give my counsel, I'd say the 40 gallon breeder or the like 170 is a pretty good the option. E like yeah. two buckets is a water change mm -hmm. now. It doesn't take up a lot of room. There's not a lot of maintenance. You can fill it with coral relatively cheap because it doesn't fill up so much yeah. space. Yeah. But I would say if you are not meticulous about it and you know full well that in June and July it's uh, baseball practice oh, uh, or whatever and you're just not around or you're camping and stuff mm -hmm. or whatever it might be, 120, 180. Something that can soak up a couple months of, uh, of abuse <laughs> <laughs> uh, is where I go. So I, I don't know. You know what? Like, mm. But even this conversation we're having now seems like an evolution from what it was back then, mm. which is... Would you, you know, ever... bigger was always better oh, yeah. under any circumstances. Yeah, yeah. The biggest you can fit, the biggest you can get. But like the, the maintenance on it that comes is a with, deterrent as well. That comes with increased maintenance. That comes with increased cost. Yeah. Uh, it comes with the increase in everything. Okay, making a 180-gallon tank, you know, look nice, meaning enough coral for it is, very is just as much as the tank. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Not much, actually much more. Uh, and so... You know, there's that, all those balances in there, but yeah, if you're a meticulous person, I, I guess I would give the counsel. Like, yeah. if I knew that person and said, you know what, this guy's got a strong attention to detail, and yeah, why not? Mm -hmm. I don't, uh, it's a different piece of advice that I would give. All right, this one, uh, then versus now, UV. Oh, that's on mine. Is it? <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, 100%. The value of UV sterilizers. When I, yeah. when I started this hobby, you couldn't say UV out loud without, like, 15 people jumping on you and telling you you were that's a dumb. effing idiot. <laughs> Shut up. That's dumb. You should be embarrassed for saying that what word. What would you need a UV for? It ain't going to do anything. Yeah, okay. But quietly, all of the breeders and zoos and all the other yeah. stuff, they're all using All them. using UV. Yeah, all yeah. of them. And all the people do this for a living. But there's like 
three dozen super vocal people all repeating one article that they read somewhere one time that it's all garbage, right? Uh. Okay, but then what happened there is they made it uncomfortable or scary or not safe to even have the conversation, man, because it just jumped down your throat. And they're like, this is Reef Central years where everybody was mean. <laughs> I shouldn't say it that way, but it was true. I mean, like, people like it was, just... It's an abrasive uh, community. Yeah, area. it was just like, it was filled with knowledge, man. But like, dude, it was, it was very much like a place to prove how right you were, mm. you know? Uh, and mm. like, and anybody believed anything different than you, man, you must, you should be ashamed of how stupid you are. Like your mother should be ashamed, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, Generations. Was, <laughs> yeah, like you put shame upon your kids, man. Like a <laughs> Kari, dude. You know, end it, end it all, man. Uh, and so I, I just, I don't know. So even when you saw the 52 weeks of reefing, and we installed one of these things in there, I was very cautious, man. Like, creating a world where this is possible, but like, I'm afraid I'm gonna get like yeah. attacked, right? Yeah. Like, garbage, man. Like, every single person I know that breeds fish, takes care of the fish, and cares about fish, will absolutely tell you that UV is a very effective tool. Mm. They will all tell you that it is not a way to eliminate ick or anything from the tank. It's a massive part of management. Yeah, but what happens is one of them falls off and goes later, like turns into the thorns or wherever mm. it is, turns into several hundred and then repeats the cycle yeah. into several million eventually. Yeah. If you pass all of the water through a UV sterilizer and sterilize them so they can't reproduce anymore, it just never hits that like mass cycle where it just overwhelms the whole mm. tank if it's installed correctly. Right, right. Uh, and so now, you know, you know what I think the reason why everybody adopted it? Seeing is believing. Mm -hmm. So when the dino problem came up and all of a sudden you put the dino thing on and literally the problem's gone tomorrow, it works, <laughs> you know, like, uh, there's no question. And like, now that I know it works on bacterial blooms, yep. now that I know it works on this plague problem of dinos I've been fighting for six months, I put the thing on and it's gone tomorrow? Mm. Well, now it's much easier to believe to why all the zoos that. and stuff yeah. are using this to sterilize other organisms that are not all that different. Yeah. Right? Mm. Yeah, and like, uh, now, not only is it you know, safe to talk about, but we're also learning how to use it effectively. Meaning, like, do we want to run it at what speed and what dose? You know, you know, the conversation of one versus two. And what about the opposite of that? Uh, what has that that UV sterilizer value change brought in a negative or? I would say, I would argue, uh, well, wow, there's, I would argue that. I would also argue that, uh, maybe the realization of the benefit of UV creates inferior products because it is a hot ticket item. I mean, that's the foundation of why this was crap to begin with. Because and it was inferior it was all and it didn't do anything. Twirly, squirrely cue uh, things, you know? <laughs> like, uh, the, like uh, I'm hesitant to even call it hobby grade. I call it- Toy? I call it siphon 70 bucks out your wallet. Like, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it probably worked on something, but not to the application that you were hoping. Like, it right? is a tool, and uh, it's, like, it's like going and getting cheap tools for stuff you do on your vehicles, on your car, anything, any tools that you use for whatever you're into that uses tools. Uh, there is 
tools made for the job, and there's tools that will break every single time or just are garbage that you even spent the money. Okay, this is what this is to me. When we did the refugium conversation, it was, did it work? Well, it was all based on a $5 bulb from Home Depot, uh, man. Yeah, it was yeah, three CFL. watts, dude, yeah, or whatever it was. Bulbs. Yeah, uh, like, well, no, it doesn't work. Dude. <laughs> uh, not the way you want it to. Uh, but you know, you put a 60 watt LED on the thing, or 90, and like in the right spectrum, it isn't wasting all this weird green and stuff. And like, boom! Explosion. You know, explosion. Right tool, right job. All right, so I put the $70 squirrely cue on it, and like, I don't know, it worked or it didn't work or whatever, but like, I go put the right tool in the job, the same ones that uh, the aquaculture facilities and stuff are using. Now you see bowl, the benefit. Yeah. 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 And like, you know, even in this tank, this tank had uh, ick in it, and we put the UV on it, and it's like, doesn't have ick anymore. Is it anecdotal? No, I don't think so, man. It, I think it's like you're there. sterilizing yeah, the ick. Yeah. It lives in there, it's in it there. won't blow up now. But we're managing it because yeah. we got the right tool on there. You know, and bravo to people like Humblefish and some of the other ones that, like, defied the community like the mm -hmm. three dozen community members came out and told you it was all garbage uh and then people like humblefish who actually are authority figures on mm. you know disease management Saying come out and tell hold you hold up there's value here and dude it's by the biggest baddest one you can get yeah. is his first statement <laughs> you know uh and like it works because it sterilizes uh, them and prevents them from replicating mm. it won't eliminate them man never will that happen you know, the one question I think that still sits out there for me, or it's probably more than one question, but mm. like, should we have them on a closed loop on the tank instead of going through the sump? Because one of my concerns here is like, especially if you're using like filter socks, is will all the parasites, you know, little baby ones go land in the filter sock? And if you don't change it out enough, will they Replicate have there. in there? And then mm. they have to make your way, like you're kind of creating a safe place mm. for them. If I'm processing all the water in the tank and I don't have anything to get them caught up on, yeah. you know, will it perform better and better to the application? And so, so much of this is not just the knowledge, but the right tool for the right job and then installed the right way as well. Yeah, 100%. So hmm. UV has totally changed. And I think for the betterment, because when we get really down to it, the chances of truly quarantining a tank and eliminating ick, meaning every last frag, snail, everything that's ever gonna go in this tank has been uh, quarantined in a fishless system for whatever odd days. I just don't that know is not hitting 100% of reefers. Not at all. I'm not even sure it's hitting 1%. Uh, so managing it and protecting our, our fish from a disease we know full well is likely in there, the right move. Yep. Hmm. Uh, I have here, which one was I going for? Ah, yeah, this was, this was a really good one. Um, you know, we've talked about this a couple times, but in the you know in the past, uh, I wrote that overfeeding now overfeeding is the last way that I would control uh, excess nutrients. Uh, in, in my uh, back when I started, there was uh, I gotten into that mindset that attack them all phosphates, nitrates, blah, 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 blah. One of the ways to attack it is, hey, reduce your feeding, do more maintenance, or do more water changes, uh, use GFO, uh, add vinegar and some other things to your uh, uh, ATO or caulk washer, you know, do these different carbon dosing type things. Uh, 
but the changes in filtration, the evolutions in filtration when it comes to the filter socks with the roller mats and pulling it out in real time and the refugium and the effectiveness of it, skimmers and the, and the ability to adjust the air and the water and the intake and uh, maximize it for nutrient control. Feeding my fish less is the last thing I would do to control nutrients, which is actually more beneficial for my fish. Okay. I don't know if I should say this aloud, but I'm good anyway. <laughs> okay. If my problem is I don't like cleaning the bathroom, the solution isn't feed my family less. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Perfect analogy. No, my yeah, I mean, it's true. Like, I, you know, I'm tired of uh, cleaning my toilet every week, <laughs> and uh, I'm just going to feed you guys three times a week. <laughs> I was like... Okay, it is. It sounds so stupid, it but it comes out. It does sound stupid. I want a healthy family. So, that's my goal, that's, man. Uh, I can measure the health so, of my family in other ways. It's one of the best analogies you've came up with uh, so far. That's pretty good. I, know, I, so how's it, I don't know if I was going to say that out loud. Uh, but yeah. That's true, 100%. Well, feeding less is just not an option. Why, why would you do that? That's the way we really had thought about the uh, nutrients yeah. back in the day, which is... Let's just starve everybody so that we don't have to worry about nutrients. Yeah, like algae and stuff. I'm so worried about it that I'll just uh, sacrifice your guys' health to uh, make sure I have a beautiful algae-free tank. I know, and then like I think about this is like extremes. Like, all right, so think of like the movie Commando, man. I got like two AKs, <laughs> a grenade belt. They're all like anti-phosphate grenades, and like we're going after this thing Rawr. all the way, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I just think about it like that's what we were going after is like zero zero is the best because the ocean zero zero but the like whole thing is tilted on its head because we didn't think about how much nitrogen and phosphorus that in the ocean they're getting from prey and bacteria mm. uh, and detritus. And like the more and more people that I talk to that actually go diving, especially the people that dive uh, at night mm -hmm. or in uh, early or late night or early evening, early morning, say they see when you go out there, uh, clouds of uh, uh, microfauna and like all kinds yep. of prey that these corals are eating. Like you can't see through it. And then by the time that, uh, you know, 10 p.m. or a.m., like all this stuff is gone, it looks pristine again. Yeah. So, like, the stuff, the tide comes in out. Mm. I don't know where the stuff Food goes. Food sources, just yeah. constantly there. They're getting nitrogen and phosphorus ample. Even though it's zero, zero pretty much in the ocean, they're getting a lot of it from capturing stuff. Mm. So in the tank, you know, it's like this idea that we should just let it get as dirty as humanly possible. I, like, uh, yeah. I don't know. That's like uh, feeding your family but uh, not flushing the toilet. Yeah, I don't, know. I don't know. You know, one of the things that I guess it definitely is like that. Uh, one of the things that I thought about here is that, like, man, if I got, I used to think about this. My my opinion on GFO is tied to this. Actually, yeah. has changed, right? So GFO was a super awesome tool for me in the beginning of avoiding algae in the tank. I'd know that the GFO is depleted, not because I did for uh, uh, I did uh, uh, phosphorus tests but because there was algae was growing. Yeah. And then I would change the GFO and the algae go Big away, guy. right? Uh -huh. Okay, so like it was really, really easy for me, but one of the problems I didn't notice is nitrates going through the roof mm -hmm. because I'm not solving the nitrate problem, only some of the phosphate. And eventually, you know, that causes total different problems as well. But 
Then they're like, I don't really like GFO because it brings it all the way down and there's uh, playing mad scientist piece. But the more and more I dive into this, it's like, you know what? The natural levels of nitrogen and phosphorus in the ocean are so low. Our tanks really seem to be, you know, relatively okay all the way up to 20 parts per million nitrate. I still like to keep mine into the single digits, mm -hmm. uh, even preferably below like, five. Yeah. But like, you know, up to 20 is probably okay. Phosphate, the other hand, dude, not so much, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, Jen here was explaining to me that anytime the phosphate gets over like a 0.1 or something, like she sees euphilia pop heads, mm. right? And so that's one of those things like, and you see a euphilia pop ahead and you're like, yeah, I don't know why. Yeah. Have you tested your phosphate? Uh, well, I don't know. They don't just die, dude. You know, <laughs> like, I, uh, and I can't like tie that to, together for sure. But did she does this for a living? Mm. And then when she gets the phosphate in control, those things don't happen. Yeah. Right. And so, I'm starting to lean towards the fact that maybe, you know, phosphorus remover, as long as you keep the nitrate in check, uh, isn't a bad way to keep it down below that point one, you mm -hmm. know, like keep it at zero, zero all the time, probably not. Right. But even if you did keep it at zero, zero all the time, not a bad idea if you're feeding the tanks a whole lot of other things. Yeah. You know, the amino acids and particulate foods. So nutrients, definitely something that has changed Fair. Fair from changed. commando phosphate grenade <laughs> to, you know, really more a complex thought about it. Yeah. Ah, next one. That's you. Oh, me. Yep. Okay. Flow. Uh, has changed so much, man. Mm. When I started this, it was almost everybody was using maxi jets with a little high door rotating deflector thingy. Yeah. Uh, and I had four maxi jets on my tank, and it turned out okay. You know, it was doing mm. its thing. And then we built, you know, at the time, you know, like, I don't know if it was just that I was cheap or the whole hobby was cheap at the time, but like nobody was buying tunes at the time. They were uh. all 250 bucks a piece. It seemed insane. Uh, but the moment that we did the little do-it-yourself thing and like use a plumbing fitting and a boat prop and turn the maxi jet into uh, essentially a tune, tank just comes alive. Yeah. Uh, everything that was just kind of growing is growing like crazy. Yeah. Everything's healthier, more lush. Night and day. Mm. Not even the same thing at all. I think right? I, uh, I think I accidentally stumbled on uh, the right amount of flow for like SPS dominated systems. Uh, in that I just put like I put four MP40s and some Jabao pumps on the back of my tank, and I, I just happened to like sticks. But that combo of the uh, the overt amount of flow in the tank actually worked out, and I didn't put I didn't. It wasn't a conscious decision for flow. I was just like, oh, I just probably should have some power heads in here. I don't, know, I don't know how much I need. I just know that this one only blows to about like here, and this other one only comes to here. So I'll just add a couple more because it, it seems like there's not enough in there. But uh, didn't realize that uh, you know what I was actually doing for the benefit of the uh, the SPS was helping them flush away those uh, those uh, byproducts. Yep. And because my lights Absolute. were so dang bright, uh, it was actually uh, uh, just a, I just happened to be lucky and it actually worked. I, I could not pinpoint back then that it was my flow because of my the balance with the extreme light. Uh, that actually was the one of the, 
leverages mics to say. Well, I think that's the nature of a lot of people, how they do this. If you start with something and if it works, it works, right? Mm. So in my case, I, I got to see what worked okay, or I guess, man, in this case... Good enough. Uh, no, I, I would call those four maxi jets with the twirlers on it uh, a bare, bare minimum. minimum. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not a path to good or great. Yeah. And then when I put the uh, uh, boat props on there, all of a sudden I would call that good, right? Yeah. Uh, and now... If you're gonna talk about grade, I know what grade looks like now too. And and we're gonna do some experiments that we'll show you in a little bit, but oh, yeah. like the difference is is like you know, we got the whole industry got so focused on like two thousand gallons an hour, four thousand uh -huh. gallons an hour, forty times, fifty times, hundred times, whatever. Yeah. And like I'd really try to get that idea out of Josh over at Worldwide. Like, well the community wants to know a number. Give me a number. Give me a number. Yeah. And he just like didn't want to give me a number. Now I understand why. Because it isn't about that. Basically, put as much flow in there as the corals will tolerate. Yeah. Right? Uh, but just because it's 2,000 gallons an hour and it, and it hits here, dude, and it's right in front, well, behind it, it's like zero. Yeah. There's no velocity behind the rock work. And even in the little caves or in between where one of the things walks, it's like nothing. Mm. So it's about getting flow throughout the tank. And so it's not necessarily getting too... 4,000 gallon an hour pumps mm. per se, it might be those, but also putting some little smaller guys around in their hitting areas that were otherwise not. And all of a sudden you watch those uh, corals that were kind of stunted in those areas take off. Well, that's a, uh, it's kind of that same thing as like, uh, you know, stumbling on success in that, uh, you know, two MP40s for the this 125 or four MP40s for a 125 gallon tank. Uh, the variables that play into why those work, you know, it wasn't, it's not put flow in the very, uh, in very specific places to uh, make sure that flow is getting there. Uh, Aquascape is a massive variable to that. So if mm. I had the same 120 gallon tank and I'm looking at your tank that's just, it's a little bonsai, it's open, there's negative space which just means flow is going to naturally get there without with less effort than adding a whole bunch more pumps. Uh, now you now I'm listening, I'm going to look at like, I have a 125 gallon tank. Hey, that tank looks really awesome. You know, what kind of flow should I put on there? Well, what if my, if my aquascape is a bunch of big boulders or a rock wall, uh, what worked there for the person's tank I'm trying to emulate probably not gonna be the same solution in mine. And then I'm wondering like, well, why, why is it working for me? Each one is different. Yeah. And, I, and I will say I had a lot of success with two opposing pumps hitting in the oh, For a long time. Yeah, uh, and so I would call that good and it produced a really good result. But there is a, a level better. So, 100%. Uh, all right. Uh, this one is interesting for me too, man. What this was in the beginning and what it is now. Felt. Hmm. Meaning felt in a filter sock, felt now in a roller mat, felt in whatever way. Yeah. And here is, I, I, it would be really helpful on this one if you guys would answer this question, right? First, do you have filter socks on your tank? And two, how often do you change them? And even if it's not the answer that you think the community wants to hear, it's actually really helpful to share like, your opinion. Truthfully, so how, much, uh, how often do you change them? Because... When I started this, it was like, 
nobody really told me how often I had to change them. And nobody told me really what exactly they were for. Mm. Uh, nobody told me that they were actually going to hurt skimmer performance. Uh, nobody told me really anything about them. And so, I don't know, they just kind of sat in there. Yeah. And like, you know, I usually would change them when they started overflowing. Yeah. Uh, oh, noise, yes. Yeah. Right? And at that point, your salinity has probably changed too. Like, and, and I'll be frank, man. Even if somebody told me I needed to get down there and change them every three days, crawling underneath the sump and cleaning it, like, I, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. And so, in fact, if somebody would have told me this, I would have said I would like a sump without them. Because what I now know is what happens is the sock actually captures all of the turds and stuff and they decay in there and often decay past the point at which the protein skimmer will catch them, mm. right? And so the protein skimmer actually works better when there's no socks there, mm. right? But I'm gonna tell you the inverse now too, which is nobody really ever looked at those filter socks as a, like a viable major contribution to, to filtration reduction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, the roller mat 100% is. <laughs> so like you call the roller mat, there's the D&D version, there's yep. the ice Feast cap rollers, version. Yeah, there's, there's all, all kinds, of, kinds of, them, of them out there now. Uh, the platinum thing built is built into in. The, tr uh, the trigger system. Oh, yeah. the, the fleece one in the, in the Royal Exclusive. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of them now. And now like the turds get caught in there and it wheels it out. And the first thing they told me when I got mine was, hey dude, if you're gonna use the fleece, you need to get a skimmer that's half the size because you're gonna pull out half the turds with the yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, wow, really that much? And like, so that means that instead of maintaining this skimmer, and checking when it's full and cleaning it, whatever. I can just swap out this roll of paper that pulled the turd out, and yeah. it doesn't require any human intervention. Sign, Sign me, me up. up. <laughs> yep, I'm in, dude, I get it. And I don't think the felt gets that level of respect. Mm. I don't think the felt did then, I don't think it does now still, that it is probably a better, uh, okay, let me put it this way. I believe that felt, roll, felt socks changed every three days or a roller mat, uh, that is functioning will likely outperform most protein skimmers in yeah. terms of nutrient reduction. It's pulling it out before it even has time. I like that. Uh, I can look at the roll of turd. I like that concept of the you know the three different uh, stages of uh, the new excess nutrients or pollution or something to the tank. There's actually mm -hmm. the physical. This is a shrimp, this is a turd, these are forms that you just, I can visually see this big giant chunk coming out of the water. All right, mm -hmm. well. Watch a shrimp roll it out. Oh yeah, 100%. Uh, and then you get to, you know, okay, then you got the skimmer level where, you know, these are in there, some organic proteins. form, they're in proteins. I can uh, have bubbles attached to proteins or proteins attached to bubbles and then pull those out. And then to some degree, some of those bigger chunks uh, still kind of go in there. And then there's the, you know, the, the bare bones, you know, the phosphorus and nitrogen uh, level of the uh, of the pollution in that you know, a, a macroalgae reactor, a scrubber, a refugium is you're fueling, you know, your plant growth through those that can you pull out a molecule of phosphorus or nitrogen in a skimmer on a bubble? Uh, you can get there, no, but you can get it before it gets the, to that point. But there's like these stages of the breaking down mm -hmm. and I have three different approaches that I know will hit three different stages of that uh, new excess nutrients. That's the evolution here, is back then we just felt like a turd's a turd, it's a turd. Yeah. Uh, nitrate is a nitrate is a nitrate. 
And now mm -hmm. what we look at it like is just what you said. It is an organic organism like a shrimp we're pulling out. Mm -hmm. It's an organic molecule like a long stream string protein or it's, it's broken all the way down into an element like phosphorus yep. or uh, nitrate, yep. right? Uh, and you know, all three of these are combined are an effective tool to manage yeah. nitrate and phosphorus. We have tools that uh, that hit each one Pollution of those at those different ones. Yeah, and like one of the things that people probably don't get too is like a shrimp and all of these foods aren't just nitrogen and phosphorus, man. They have copper in them. Mm -hmm. They have all kinds of different elements in there and vitamins and stuff in there, and. As the you know, nitrogen and phosphorus build up, so do those other things mm -hmm. uh, that aren't you know, consumed by things in the tank. Uh, and they all rise, we just don't test for them, so you don't know. Uh, and that's gonna lead right into the next one for me, which mm -hmm. is the way we test the aquarium has changed so much mm -hmm. from then until now. When I started, Basically, the only thing I was told I needed was this like little like Red Sea kit that had some little droppers in it, mm -hmm. and it was like ammonia, nitrate, nitrogen, yeah, uh, and uh, I don't know a couple other things. So, like, I will now tell you, I don't know why anybody would own a nitrite test kit. Mm -hmm. I, if by the time you need to use it again, it will be expired. expired, and if you just waited a couple of weeks, it it'll just, be gone. It's just unnecessary yeah. in a vast majority of cases. Uh, I kind of feel the same way about ammonia. It's not something I test for a lot. Like, I don't, it's probably, nobody does, so that's probably why we don't know anything about ammonia problems, because nobody ever tests for it, yeah. really. Uh, nitrite, nitrate, nobody really told you how to use it. And so, like, I will tell you now I know how to use it, which is, you know, it's not necessarily I need to peg the number at two, or I need to peg it at five, or I need to peg it at 10. It's I need to stop the trend, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you're okay with anywhere between two and 20, sure. But if you keep rising, like uh, either your water changes don't work. nowhere good. Yeah. Yeah. What, what got you from two to 20 is gonna be the same thing that got you from two from 20 to 40. <laughs> you know, so like something's wrong with the way you're doing it. Shh. Yeah. Even keel. Yeah, yeah you so find an even keel. Either, Stop feeding your family so much. <laughs> uh, or up your filtration habits, right? Mm. And that can be all kinds of things. It could be a refugium that's on longer with a higher power light. It could be uh, carbon dosing. It could changing be- Changing your filter socks more often. You're changing your filter socks or using a roller mat yeah. or a better skimmer yeah. or tuning the skimmer better. Or it could be so many different things. It could be lanthium chloride, you know? It could be, so many things, but like when you think about the nitrate, like the perpetual rise is the only thing I'm testing for, which means I really only need to test this like once a month. Mm. I don't need a like absolute pulse on this. And like certainly every two weeks or, or better yet, maybe every two weeks in the beginning year or so. And then after that, like just make sure whatever you're doing isn't making it perpetually mm. rise or bothering out at true zero zero. All right, in that, you know, uh, testing mindset outside of just uh, nitrates and phosphates, uh, the uh, the ability to to complete a test like right now and and and, and quickly, uh, like the Hannah the Hannah alkalinity checker, big giant change in the way we um, in the way we test alkalinity. And then if I match, you know, if my calcium or my whatever I'm doing to supplement alkalinity and calcium, 
if I kind of match my cal, all I really need is this alkalinity checker and I can get a long way there and then every so often check calcium. Uh, but then the next evolution of that is something that's testing it constantly for me to where I am now, it's not just that, okay, I, I test uh, alkalinity, you know, the alkalinity multiple times a day or once a day or whatever because I have a machine that does it. No, what we're actually learning is, uh, you know, changes in photosynthesis, changes in your lights, changes in the pH, changes in the clarity of the water, changes in this, and how that affects coral growth because of the consumption of alkalinity and calcium. I'm not going to sit there and test my tank three, you know, three, four times a day at the same time to find out that the little change in my light is actually uh, increasing photosynthesis between this time period and another time period. But that's something that we probably wouldn't have caught on to or we wouldn't have started to go, oh wow, look what happens when you do this and this. And you can see it in the change of alkalinity. I now have a machine that does this and we can take, uh, it, it's not just for testing the tank, it's what can we, else can we learn about the different other portions of the aspects of the tank that uh, are, are read through these changes in alkalinity and calcium and whatnot. This is something we just stumbled upon because I would have, you know, using a little titration test, I would have done alkalinity once a week or yeah. something, right? Yeah. Okay, but when we did the BRS 160 here, uh, I decided, you know, for the first year or so, I was the one that took care of it every day. And I decided I want to man manage alkalinity every single day, mm -hmm. right? And like, I want to know the pulse. And then it's when we put that scrubber on there, the CO2 scrubber and shot the pH up, and like all of a sudden, the alkalinity just tanked the same day, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, wow, man, like, yeah. dude, the, the growth there's, here there's, is there's, sucking up alkalinity yeah. so much faster. And then we had to increase the dose about 50%. Yep. And then we found the same thing with the lighting. It made the change the lighting once, uh, and it was about 30% brighter and it increased the amount of alkalinity consumption. It dropped, so we had to increase the dose 30% because we added so much more photosynthetic energy to the mm -hmm. tank. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, man, of course. <laughs> and like, but like, dude, if I wasn't testing this daily, yeah. and I don't really know if I need four tests a day like with the, the Trident, but like, I, I want one. Oh, yeah. You know, and if somebody's willing to do it for me, being a little machine, report it to me, and then also, it's the complacency piece that, like, I'm not really paying attention all the time to the tank in a way that, like, what mm. if there's a big growth spurt and all of a sudden it's sucking up uh, mm. uh, alkalinity, but you might not catch it in time because the alkalinity actually gets sucked up and so the alkalinity is low and then everything's growth stops because of that and then it kind of finds its new equilibrium of crap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Instead, if you could tell you in real time, like, hey, dude, uh, the growth in your tank's doing awesome, and this thing uh, in your alkalinity is dropping, sweet. It also give you kind of times of the day. Is it happened during the day, is mm -hmm. it at night, whatever. I mean, totally different way. And uh, to add it, I mean to add to that about the automated type testings, uh, not just the, you know, the ease and frequent, or the ease and now how frequent I can do like a hint of alkalinity, but uh, you know, with, with something like a Trident or anything that uh, you can add that monitoring piece to, uh, it is basically another probe in the tank to tell you when something's going wrong. Uh, I wouldn't know that alkalinity in the middle of the night is uh, dumping solution into my tank, but when that siren thing goes off that I have programmed that says, hey, your alkalinity just went like this, uh, it is just another way I can save my tank in case something happens. It's true. Hmm. I'll throw another one here. This one, this one, 
is starting to drive me crazy. pH. Oh. So when I was uh, just started, I don't know, it's water, right? Everybody talks about pH, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I went and bought a pinpoint pH meter. I put it on the front. It was always in between 7.8 and 8.3 unless I overdosed coke or something. Yeah. But I look at it and they're like, Eventually, I just stopped replacing the battery because I didn't understand what I was even using. Yeah, yeah. For, right? uh, well, now I know that, like, at 7.8, the coral is actually starting to dissolve its own skeleton in the right or wrong environment, I guess. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's not just 7.8 because inside of it, it's got all this hydrogen that's broke off from the bicarbonate. And so lower. it's actually way lower yeah, than that. Yeah. And so it's dissolving its own skeleton in there. And that's why it's weak. And that's why in the ocean, they get really stressed and they're brittle. And you can wipe out the whole area with one additional stress event. And we know that in the ocean. We know it from BRS Investigates as well. Mm. So why is it still we're okay with a 7.8? And I'm gonna let everybody off the hook. And the reason is because nobody stepped up and created a real solution, yeah. right? Uh, and it's because it's this jerry-rigged, you know, like DIY solution to a protein skimmer at the moment. This much I think I can say. I'd be shocked if BRS, uh, uh, with the help of uh, some others, doesn't provide some solution to this in 12 months. Right. Like, I'd be surprised if it was a skimmer or a reactor or something that doesn't scrub the CO2 out of it, hopefully in a recirculating format that doesn't burn through media, meaning it's affordable and it's super easy to use and one little thing in your tank can stop mortalities, increase the strength of the coral, and make it grow 50% faster. If you don't want any of those things, I don't even know why you're here. <laughs> you're like, why are you listening to this an hour into it? So, <laughs> I like, but the problem is not on you guys, it's on people like ourselves and some of the manufacturing community hasn't produced a solution for it, yeah, and they're true. still working on DIY projects. <laughs> so true. on us to solve. But like that one in terms of uh, testing the pH, I didn't understand it back then, what it was doing. Yeah. And we're just kind of told anywhere in there is like, that's that it didn't die. Mentality, yet. yeah. <laughs> that, uh, it's uh, not dead. I don't know, uh, okay. Uh, the biggest one on my list uh, is lighting. Right. What has changed? Yeah, I think yeah, I that for me, that's uh, just be, just being on this end of the uh, of the whole lighting conversation and doing and testing and you know, learning what matters and why it's important and all that has opened my eyes. But uh, the blindly stumbling stumbling on success early on because I chose T fives. Uh, I didn't I didn't realize why, but then when I moved over to LEDs for the very first time and cranked every all four of them up to 100% just because I was like, ah, it looks bright, and wondering why everything is dying in my tank. Is this, uh, that whole aspect of reefing has changed completely for me in that I understand now that there's a goal. I have a, I can point to where I want to, where I need to be. And I, uh, as far as par numbers and range, uh, I have an idea of spectrum and you know what is uh, going to produce the best for the corals and also look pretty cool to my eye, look good. And uh, I have a really good idea now of spread and why that's important rather than a single light on a 125 gallon tank. Why it, for my goals of, a, of SPS dominant, what I usually chase down, uh, why it is very important to cover that entire tank with lights. 
The way I wrote this one down was lighting technology, technology form versus function, mm. right? Uh, and the reality is the reason that we went to LEDs in our hobby is because we were going to LEDs in everything else we were doing. Yeah. LED screw in bulbs, oh, LED they're everywhere. lamps for your car, outside LED, of the street lights, yeah. yeah. Everything. Yeah, everything. Like, so of course, we'll try yeah. it here, right? Yeah. And it was under these guys you were going to save money or something. None of that materialized. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, oh, you wanted to buy bulbs and energy savings and all this. It's all garbage, man. Yeah. It never happened, man. Like, uh, uh, if it happened, man, it didn't happen to the degree to justify the whole thing, right? Yeah. So, why did we transition from T5s and halides to LEDs if they weren't working as oh. good? Well, that's the good and bad argument of it, right? The good, the, the bad, I would say, is that uh, from the change of technology and lighting technology, we, killed, we probably killed more corals. We, probably is not the word. Oh, uh, absolutely. 100% more, more mortalities in coral because we didn't know what we know now about the spread and the pargles and the spectrum and stuff like that. It was just, oh, this is awesome. Turn it up. More par, more better. Yeah. You know what? Like, I think that the manufacturers at the time, to be frank, just weren't marine biologists. Mm. And they just didn't understand fully what the animals required. Mm. Uh, and the dish didn't connect the dots. And so we were connecting the dots in terms of they were building them for par, mm. which was, you know, like at the time, man, we were looking for hot spots of yeah. like a thousand par because you're trying to emulate the sun and there was par wars mm. and whatever. We're looking and at, we're building them for aesthetic appeal for our own eyes. Yeah, form versus function. I, that conversation bridges all over the place when it's not about, it's about us and not about the animals. Yeah, and like, so what we had is a big giant panel of light that was, you know, covered the whole tank end to end, or we had a big metal halide reflector that covered the whole tank almost end to end. It looks ugly. Yeah, well, okay, it looked, looked ugly to some degree. Like, I, the halides to me were way too much, especially the big reflectors. Mm. But the T5s, like, they could have polished it a little bit more and, like, the aluminum look uh, and some of them. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then you give me something that looks to my eye like it's lighting the whole tank in the same way my T5s did to my eyes. Uh, but now it's like this hanging over my tank or uh, clipped onto the back of my tank. Man, that looks clean. Man, that looks slick. Dude, it's super easy to install. It weighs one pound. Yeah. You know. But what I didn't know is what what my eyes were seeing. What my eyes were seeing in the tank is not nearly what uh, you know the, the what the animals needed in the tank. So, like the problem that like happened here is we started designing for. I don't know, man, uh, like aesthetics or something, or maybe like manufacturing standards or shipability or mm. sitting on a shelf. Oh, I, yeah. I don't know, yeah, man. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what we were designing for, but it wasn't for the animals because the, for the animals went backwards. Uh, and so now you're seeing no, it, like the narrow laser beams are done. Yep. Like nobody wants that yep. anymore. Yep. Super wide angle, we're actually learning that even super wide angle has uh, still shadow issues. So the format is getting bigger and mm -hmm. bigger. And mm -hmm. I, I, don't be surprised that 
we're going to get back to a panel, a panel that looks like a panel of T5s. It just doesn't have mercury and hazarded crap that you have to get rid Nothing of. You have yeah. to buy the bulbs. Yeah. It gives you the ability to balance the color mm -hmm. and hit different spectrums throughout the day to highlight mm -hmm. different corals. Different ways. Like all the things that LEDs do really cool for you, which is moonlighting, you know, highlighting those corals in different ways, dusted dawn effects, no bulb changes, mm -hmm. a little bit of energy savings, blah, blah, blah. Like, but like, don't be surprised when the form factor gets bigger and bigger and bigger and we go back to the things that work because those are the same things that work in every photosynthetic application, right? Like whether you're growing plants or whatever, man, like all of them. Big. Oh, or you're mounting the thing six feet above the thing you're trying to light. Like, so the plants that you're, you got a huge grid of them and the plants are three to six feet from the bulbs. Well, and then that's a different case as well. Mm. Uh, but like in any application like this, that's what it's going to look like. And even in photography, like yeah. if I don't want big hard shadows where I can't see what's behind this, the only solution to that is not a tiny little bulb here. It's having a big panel of light. Uh, yeah, yeah. It has to be bigger yeah. than the object you're illuminating. So like people, this is like one that just people should just stop debating. Like, there's no question that you can have a small form factor light and be just fine with mm -hmm. uh, some euphilia and stuff. But even when the euphilia or the softies get big enough that they're shading other stuff, it's going to be true there too. Mm. So, the, some would argue that going back to old technologies is the answer. Like, oh, I'm just mm. going to go back to metal halide. I'm just going to go back to T5 instead of uh, sticking with LEDs. But the halide bulbs are almost gone. The T5 bulbs, they're doing only special runs of the bulbs every once in a while. That's mm. almost going to be done. It's only a matter of time before that technology yeah. doesn't exist. And uh, I'll tell you, like, it's not some magic photon that's coming out of mm. that thing. So no. uh, now it's the same it's like, option. It'd be a big panel, or you can take the lights you already mm. own and throw some like reef bright strips on them or something like that yeah. and get basically the same thing. You can also just... Just <laughs> buy a bunch of T5 bulbs, I guess. Uh, yeah, hold buy, on uh, to them now. You know what? If you bought three sets of T5 bulbs, you'd probably have a decade's worth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is, like, I don't know, man. I don't know about you, dude, but, like, I mean, it's a hobby, dude. So, like, there's a, there's a, nature, a natural desire here to have mm. cool new stuff. Yeah. It, I, like, I don't necessarily, like. I don't know in, I don't know in any. I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of any aspect of life where uh, we would choose to go back to tech, a diff an older technology. It's only always moving, it's only move, moving forward. And then mm. the new stuff that comes out is probably crap in the beginning, and you, you man, like, man, I wish I still had that flip phone. Uh, but then if you wait it out long enough, you start to get, you know, back to, you know, what you really want, what's really works, what really works. It's true. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, there's some cost stuff in here as well. You know, like, I think. Where do you say a decade from now, are we going to have the same conversation? Well, oh, no, it'll oh, change. Yeah. No, no, a decade from now, the T5 balls are gone. Yeah. 100%. Stop making manufacturing mm. those things. The yeah. plant doesn't even exist. Yeah. Get hit by a meteor. <laughs> yeah, like, it's gone, dude. There's no way. But, like, the conversation will change. Is it a panel? Is it two little lights? Because the other flip side of this is like the cheapest way to grow coral in my mind and do it reliably, plug it in the wall and know that coral is going to grow and it's going to grow well is mm -hmm. a big panel of T5s. And also to me, uh, I don't like the teal look that comes off of the Aqua Blue Plus bulb 
Yeah. It, it's like part of the reason I hate it is because I can't take a photo with that. Uh, the, it screws with the ca almost every camera, even even with sometimes with the stupid lenses on there. Your, so, I would say that your biggest uh, gripe with the T5 is that it's a still picture, not of something with movement. I like looks like a picture of the ocean uh, rather than flat, a piece of the ocean. And your fish are just sitting there in space. And yeah. you wouldn't know it was water. This is the form versus function piece yeah. now, right? And so like, all right, I want to grow coral. Well, that was function. But form, I want it to be beautiful too, right? I mm. want it to have uh, that like sense of ocean. rhythm and movement yeah, yeah, in yeah, it, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and you get that from the shimmer. Mm. And it isn't from a disco ball effect of little glittery things all over the place. It's, yeah. it's sh shimmer. Because we know that yeah. sucks. Yeah. yeah, like being able to see little, sh little dots of green and red shooting all over the place. That's it's that's not an aesthetically pleasing effect. Oh, and that's only that's only new information in the last like five years mm -hmm. uh, that we we're like, you know, this this is not right. Uh, so you're seeing it in the technology here. You're seeing like the like the radion when we did our testing. You saw that it had hit, you know, eighty yep. percent the yep. same par on the outside edges in the center. Man, this is the widest angle that you do. Very well spread. The little frosted uh, bits. Now it's not seeing little red and green shooting all over the place. Mm -hmm. It's kind of more of a soft meld of all mm. this. You can pop a diffuser on it. Yeah. It also now like the blue is designed to have all channels running one hundred percent. You can just no change loss the of intensity there. Yeah. You could tune the color if you want. You know. Yeah. Uh, but like I don't have to understand it. Like par meters are readily available. You can actually. Look buy them from us and return it for a 20% of the stock if you use it for two months. It's no longer the barrier. Uh, and, you know, in fact, you could probably pass it around to all your buddies and they can tune their tanks yeah. too. Uh, in two months. Uh, so, like, all these barriers don't really exist and you're seeing all of this stuff evolve. You know, like, there was a lot of hype about the sky as a big, huge uh, diffused panel. Is it the future? Is it not? Mm. Uh, you know already that I believe wholeheartedly. The bigger the light, the more it's going to wrap around the object, yeah. the better. There's that is, you're going to see that continue to go in that direction yeah. from all the lighting machine manufacturers. And there's one reason why. It's because it's the right way to do it. It's the right, right way to illuminate an organism that requires a coating of light. Yeah. I, it's hard to argue with that that point that uh, this big giant studio light that we have here or what we're trying to achieve in the tank uh, is the right answer when you're talking about photosynthetic. I think the only answer yeah. outside of that is purchase defense. Oh. Uh, I, like I bought this thing so it must be the right uh, thing. It's mine! No, because like, good. I don't think you could take any marine biologist and that understands uh, what the organism needs as well as uh, the type of light you're going to provide and come to a different conclusion. Mm. Other than stringing together a bunch of, of little lights and having overlapping pieces. Yeah. You know, but like at that point, why do I get eight quarts? I don't, I don't get it, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, the, definitely the way that we managed lighting way back in the day till now is totally changed. Okay, uh, I've got another one, man, here that's changed over the time. The protein skimmer. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm pre-needle wheel. Right, mm. so back when I started this, it was like airstone thingies, yeah, you know. Yeah. It was down drafts, like uh, the Beckett style. They're shooting Danner, you know, huge pumps that sitting doing like a twelve bio balls, uh, trying to break up water. Yeah, and like spray injector ones, whatever. 
all of them loud, all of them finicky, some of them suck, some of them okay, none of them really great. And then we went into the world of needle wheels, uh, Euro Reef, who doesn't exist anymore, was like uh, really like one of the first commercial huge wins. I think Deltec was doing it at the time mm. as well. Uh, and now yeah, every single skimmer is that way yeah. because they're so much quieter, especially the DC models. Uh, they're adjustable, they're all these different things. But even then, it was the replication of the uh, Par Wars. Yeah. But now it was Air Wars. You know, and it was like, how much air can I possibly get? It's like <laughs> watching Vertex pump as much air, and so it's just like milk top to bottom, but yeah. it like never produces anything. It's just boiling pot. Anybody who doesn't know any different, they're like, man, look at all of that. Look at all that water I'm churning up. So if I look at it now versus today, you know what I'm going to tell you, actually? And I don't know the exact matrix in this, and I would like to dig in deeper and find out. Yeah, this one still, we're still finding out about. Okay. This is how you know if you have a good skimmer. When you walk in the room, it smells like shit. <laughs> End of story, man. Uh, that's how you know you have one of the best skimmers. It's working. All right, so like when I walked in there and the Bubble King's running in that fish room, like you know when this thing needs to change because it's full of turds and mm. it stinks, right? Mm. It smells like it's supposed to. And I had that first experience with that Dell Tech skimmer I had a million years ago, that'll hang on one versus the Red Sea Prism Pro versus the Aqua Sea Remora with and without the little box with the bigger pump, blah, blah, blah. And then when I, as soon as I put on the that hang on Dell Tech thingy, you know, 600 bucks for a hang on skimmer, but man, when you touched it, it smelled like turds, dude. It didn't smell like green water. It wasn't yeah. kind of thin. It was like, whoa. You know, to the point that I had to be really careful. I actually ended up having to run, because basically what it is, is it's, it's a cone that's filled with turds, and I'm passing air through it to the top, right? Mm. So it's like, you know, basically a fart generator, right? <laughs> I mean, and the air's coming out the top into the room. So if you're blowing air over turds and the room doesn't stink, well, it's probably not producing the way that it should, right? Mm -hmm. And so I ended up having to put a bag of carbon on the top because it stank so bad. Also, I had my cold air return in there. And so anytime that I clean the skimmer in that the room, whole house. my wife, you'd know because my wife would be yelling from upstairs. Ryan, God damn it. <laughs> and so like, that is one of the things I would say that actually was true back then and is true now, but. I will say that wholeheartedly. If somebody asked me, like, oh, is my skimmer good? I'm like, I don't know. Does it, does it make your house smell like crap? If it doesn't, well, then you have some version of bad to mediocre. <laughs> uh, or you're not setting it up Or it's it just right. not adjusted right, yeah. Like, yeah. Or it isn't matched to your tank or the amount of fish that are in it. And, and one of the things then that, like, I hope that will happen in the next 12 to 24 months is to see skimmers that are designed to progress with your tank. Meaning I don't wanna buy a skimmer for two fish in my 120 gallon tank that it works in the beginning. And also Matt works when I have 20 fish and I'm feeding 10 times as much food to the mm -hmm. tank. Uh, I don't want to buy a different skimmer for each stage. I want to find one that will tune with it, meaning the neck size maybe changes, maybe it means that uh, I can tune the air, maybe it can tune the flow rate through it. But like that, and, and not all complex, like there's 50 different switches and you have to know, like literally like I can more turn air, knob says- Less air. Like more fish food, less fish food, yeah. you know, like, uh, or the more oh, poo, less that. poo. Yeah. Uh, and like, can tune it to the input going in there. 
Because right now, most of it's just an acrylic tube with a pump slapped on and, and like some tank rating attached to the side. And doesn't it just doesn't yeah. really work that way. Uh. And, and, and you found, we found, like with the DC skimmers for me, most of the time, I get the best performance not by getting more air. It's but by turning it turning down. Turning that down to setting two instead yeah. of setting five. But inverse is true. When I add more fish to it, I find better performance when I started adding more air, mm -hmm. right? And so, like, in fact, it was interesting because I could control at home. I could control both the air, how dry and what it was, down to the point that, like, the whole, it was so thick that the whole lid would kind of lift off, <laughs> you know? And it's just like, you could see this thick foam coming out of every little hole, you know? And then the solution, everybody's like, rub out oil and stuff oh, on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, nah, man, I don't have to do that. I can just turn up the air, and now I'm going to remove even more turds. And instead of being a sick, super thick, like, like, like crunchy foam, it's coming out of all the holes. Is thinner it's a watery and removing it down, yep. right? Yep. Yep. So, like the way that we think about skimmers, I don't think this message is real. I don't. I don't see the community talking about it this way. Yeah, you know. Yeah, we've done quite a few investigative tests on it too. It's it, it's one that we'll continue to, uh, especially when we start seeing or uh, thinking of of new skimmers that uh, incorporate this type of thought process. And then when that hits and you go, all right, this is why this exists. This is why it has these controls. Uh, go talk about it. And here's the data behind it. All right. So here's the deal. 300K or bust. I think we just gave out $15,000 worth of uh, uh, Neptune stuff throughout this yeah, uh, episode. Yeah. I see a whole bunch of them. Uh, congratulations, uh, Albert K. And some order numbers and all this other things. Congratulations. Hopefully some of you were watching uh, while you won. Uh, I see some questions in there that we're going to answer too. This thing's going on though. Uh, we're going uh, all the way to Halloween here. Uh, and so tomorrow, we're going to leave it as a surprise this time of what we're going to do tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, but it's keep going, man. We keep giving stuff away. Uh, uh, it's also, uh, you're getting all these cards in there that could be anywhere up to uh, 500 bucks as well. In there. Yeah. Uh, and 10 extra reward points for Preferred Reaper, blah, blah, blah. Join us. Uh, so. <laughs> All right, give us a couple of these questions. Uh, there's really one to talk about here at uh, 10 bucks from Mike's. And oh. it says, Happy Halloween, guys. Uh, Sweet. And I can't read the rest, but thank you, Mike. All right, we went way over. It's hour and 45 minutes. So I'm going to cut a call it a day, and we'll see you next week with another week in reefing. This week in reefing. Boom. I am Batman.